0: End of the fourth quarter, state playoffs, the other team has the ball. You have one option on defense and that is to stand your ground. Thanks to our friends at Sherwood Baptist Church in Georgia for that great movie, Facing the Giants, and that great scene scene which we cut it just right before the touchdown. So we stand our ground and it potentially gives us the opportunity for a touchdown and a score. How does that apply to power moves spiritually? The Apostle Paul is going to end his letter to the church at Ephesus, emphasizing to them that it's the fourth quarter, and it is the last move, and the opponent has the ball, and the church is to stand its ground. Now, just to put that into historical context, If that was true in the Apostle Paul's mind as he was writing to the church at Ephesus in the first century AD, probably around AD 64, then I'm just going to simply tell you honestly as your pastor that in 2023, it is beyond the fourth quarter. We are at the end and this is not the time for the church to give way. This is the time for the church to stand stronger than it ever has at any point in the history of the church. Many of us and many Bible scholars and many who know more than I do believe that Jesus is coming back, that we will see him in our lifetime. This is not the time for the church to capitulate to an enemy who is already vanquished. We're just waiting for Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 to come true when Satan himself is thrown into the pit of fire and brimstone, captured and removed for all eternity. That enemy of Jesus, that enemy of God, that enemy of creation, that enemy of the bride of Christ, the church, is fighting and roaring like the lion he's described in Peter to do all he possibly can to disrupt, to remove and destroy that which is good. And he's doing it right now in this generation. And the only thing that stands between him and his finish is the church. We have been left here for the purpose of the cause of Christ, and it's our time to stand. It's been bleak moments in prior prior generations. It's been bleak times in the history of the church, but the greatest evidence of the grace of God is that the church is still alive and is still victorious today. We are sinners like everyone else and we have the potential to be tempted and led astray just like anyone else. We are imperfect just like anyone else. But God's grace continues to work in us and through us and God's grace continues to show that he loves his creation. He loves the people he has created and designed for relationship with him and he wants to know them. And he wants to live through them, and he is, in fact, truth itself. So we stand strong. Using the analogy from the movie where the coach teaches him about Nehemiah and the necessity of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, we take that same cue today, in this generation, in this time, and in this point in history, and say, no, we will not compromise. We are prepared, we are strengthened, we are equipped, and we have even the reinforcements necessary to win this battle. And the Apostle Paul lays that out for us. So in Ephesians chapter six, in verse 10, after the Apostle Paul has talked about the glorious nature of the church and the love of God in the church and through the church and amongst all the relationships in the church, after he's talked about us living in such a way that we are clearly, characteristically, in a powerful way, distinctive from the rest of the world, he comes to his concluding paragraphs and it begins like this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. That's his challenge to us. And we're going to break it down today. Next week, we're going to look at the armor of God, the equipment that God has given us and how we activate that and use that in our lives. And then the final week, we will look at towards reinforcements and how we can, through prayer, not only survive and fight and be victorious in our own battles, but we can support and encourage and and intercede for one another so that the whole body of Christ is strengthened and prepared for battle to, as Paul will conclude the book of Ephesians, bring glory to our Savior, to let Jesus' name be magnified and exalted as Jesus intended for it to be. This is a battle, and we're in the middle of it, and we need strength I love the way that the Apostle Paul says in verse 10, finally, literally in the Greek language, which is what the book of Ephesians is written in, it means from now on, or the translation I prefer is for the remaining time, until Jesus comes back, until we are with him in his presence, as long as we are on the face of this earth, we are simply to be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, which is a delegated strength. It is not about us. If we are convinced that we have the strength necessary, then we will lose. Everything about the church is delegated. We have a delegated authority. We have a delegated truth that's been taught to us. We serve a savior who is the very encompassing nature of truth. And the gospel is a light that penetrates darkness. But we can never do it on our own. There were those in the book of Acts who thought they could do it on their own. And they went around and they wanted to collect money for exorcisms. And so they went into towns and they went into places and they said, Hey, look, bring us your demon possessed and we will relieve them. We will deliver them. We will remove this curse from them. Only to find out when they began to do that, they began to cast out those demons out of their own strength, out of their own perspective. And the demons fight back. And in the book of Acts, we're told that the demons look at them and simply say, who are you? Well, we are. And they don't have an answer. And then the demons make an interesting statement. Jesus, we know. We know. Oh boy, do they? I mean, Jesus created them. And when they rebelled, Jesus is the one that kicked them out of heaven. They know him all too well. And they know they are always subjugated to his power. Satan may be powerful. Demons may be powerful. They may be wicked. They may be cunning. But they are always subject to Jesus. They know the final sentence has been passed. I can't explain to you, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me why they haven't been arrested and put in and thrown away. I don't know why they're still here. Maybe it's just because the church shows her glory when she's in conflict with those dark evil forces and that that glory is Jesus working through us. Those demons say, hey, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but we have no idea who you are and the demons literally, physically beat up those sorcerers and send them out of town. But That's not who the church is. The church is the bride of Christ. The church are the children of God gathered in worship. The church are the, are the people of God gathered for the purpose of the kingdom of God, and we have committed our lives and our hearts to doing only that which allows his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. But it's a delegated authority, it's a delegated strength. Be strengthened by the Lord, Paul says, and by his vast strength. Knowing that it's delegated, Paul gives us the first commandment to put on the full armor of God in verse 11. He simply says that, that is straightforward, put on the full armor of God. It is a resourced fortification. It is not our fortification. It is not how strong we are. It is not how great we are. It's not how strategic we are. It's not how tactical we are. It is how God reinforces us in the same way that he gives us strength, he reinforces us and he gives us that fortification it is his armor literally the word can be translated put on the armor that god has made and owned it's his equipment we understand these concepts we watch teams all the time we're about to watch them on friday night football kicked off for high school football this past weekend There's all kinds. And every team, whether it's football, baseball, volleyball, track, anything else, every team wears the uniform of their school. So it makes sense. Because that was true in the first century. It was true of the soldier that was chained to Paul's arm in that house arrest that Paul was experiencing, sitting right there with all of his armor on, probably not full field battle armor, but enough armor to be prepared for that moment to carry out the authority of Rome. And Paul's looking at him and going, but our authority is given by God. Our strength is from the Lord out of the Lord's vast strength, not ours, and the armor of God is exactly that, God's armor that we put on. It is the recognition that what we can do, we can do through the power of Christ, Paul would describe it to the church of Philippi like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, part of living by faith, part of the excitement of it, and and at the same time part of the anxiety of it is that we adventure and go about tasks and things and activities that are beyond us. Our church is about to experience that. We have two more weeks. We wrap up. The book series on Ephesians. We will go into the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts under a series called Let's Go. Most of you in this room have already seen information and flyers and many of you have attended dinners with information and activities and more information is coming to all of us every Sunday morning. Throughout the entire fall, starting on September 17th, we begin a series called Let's Go. More important actually than this series is we begin a capital campaign to raise two-point $2 $2 million for our new church. It's absolutely necessary. Truthfully, honestly, about $5 million is absolutely necessary. But our teams have been putting everything into place. They've got the proceeds from the sale of our property. They've got this capital campaign. They're working with bankers and finance people to assure that everything's done. But everything that happens from our generosity guarantees the accomplishment of that purpose and it guarantees less debt for the church, that we will rapidly pay off like we've always done. Our church is debt-free, we will be debt-free again. We will get these tools, we will do this task and we will make it happen. And by, by possibly even Easter of 2025, we will be in our brand new church. And it's all because your pastor's so smart. <laughs> no, <laughs> he is the weakest link on all the teams. We do have great people, and we do have smart people on all of our teams, administrative team, capital campaign team, finance team, and and, and building team. We have great people in all those positions to help us. But how will that happen? How will that moment take place? Because God has opened that door, and God will provide that resource. I actually believe, and I, I wish I could give you the empirical data. The empirical data says our church will raise 2.2 million, probably without a whole lot of difficulty. I believe we will significantly exceed that, but I can't give you the empirical data for it. I can't, I can't ask Verlin or, or Dyke or any of the guys on those teams to produce the spreadsheets and say, hey, yeah, you know, pastor's right. We can, weigh, we can raise way much more than 2.2 million. I can't give you the empirical data. What I can tell you as your pastor and what you're going to hear most of this fall, so kind of a warning as well, is I believe here. I believe right here in my heart. I'm tempted to say right here in my gut, but I don't really like drawing attention to that particular section. I believe God is going to do something exceedingly beyond what we anticipate. We studied that way back in chapter three. I know you don't remember it because that was like two months ago. That God can do exceedingly beyond what we can imagine. I don't know where it's all gonna come from. I don't know exactly how it all plays out, but I believe, I believe with all my heart we will go so far beyond that goal that a couple of things we really wish could be done will actually be able to be done and we will move forward in a glorious fashion. In fact, at our last meeting just last week, um, the, this, the team always cringes when I start talking about things that just happened because you know a, a lot of it is unknown at this point. But our contractor has come up and said, hey, look, we can, through these steps, move the entire process up four to six months. That's why over the weekend... I started praying, and I know Pastor Josh has because he and I have discussed it and talked about it. I've started praying that instead of June of 2025, we move in Easter of 2025. No pressure on the teams. No pressure on our architect or or our contractors who listen to our live stream. No pressure on anybody. But I just believe God can do something. I believe God's going to do something. I believe God's going to do something that amazes us because he wants to demonstrate in the midst of all the chaos and angst and trouble of this world and this moment, his strength has not failed. His glory will not be diminished. He has given us his strength. He has delegated to us. He has given us the fortification we need. And our call is to be immovable in our position Put on the full armor of God in verse 11 so that you can stand against the the schemes of the devil. The devil is real. Probably the greatest movement of Satanism in the history of the world has happened in the last 50 to 60 years in Western civilization because see, in Western civilization, we decided that the devil was somebody who showed up in horror movies out of a, Industry that is significantly influenced by him, so that everybody in this room, for the most part, really believes the devil is some ugly, nasty creature. I'm gonna challenge you look at the scriptures. Satan is never ugly. Oh, I wish he was. I wish he looked like a, like a gargoyle. I mean, I, I'm ready for that battle. But no, he is a prince of light. He is a deceiver in light. He is attractive. in every moment when he shows up on the scene, he seems like the best guy in the room. He seems like the best lady in the room. Oh, yes. In the garden, a beautiful snake. I have troubles with that. And I've never seen a beautiful snake. But I have practiced Genesis chapter 3 where you crush snakes under your heel all the time. I think that's the best place for snakes. That's probably not. If we get picketed next week by PETA, just forgive me, but I don't like snakes. But Eve wasn't swayed out of her fear or out of the grotesqueness of Satan. She was swayed out of his persuasiveness and his beauty. Samson was swayed by the Satan working through Delilah. Delilah. Start tracking them every time. Satan appears cunning and wicked and powerful. And we need as a church to have an immovable position and to stand against him. And we are prepared to stand against him because our savior declared, our savior took his banner, stuck it in the ground and said, on this place, we declare our victory. In John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father any other way than me. Any message you hear through any other medium that does harm to any one of those positions, any message you hear any place else that says there is other avenues available than Jesus is from Satan. He attacks that standard. Any message you hear that says truth isn't truth, any message you hear that says truth isn't absolute, that truth is negotiable, that truth is changeable, violates the character of God. Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus is the standard for that truth. And his church teaches truth. Well, we're human and we're sinful and error may come up every once in a while but if we become aware of it, we quickly correct it because we are purveyors, we are teachers, we are professors, we are soldiers of truth because our savior put that standard in the ground and that banner waves in the air today. You want to know truth, then meet Jesus because he is the truth. Read his word and you'll know his truth truth is not found on social media. Truth is not found in the movies. Truth isn't found on TV. Truth isn't found on the radio. It's not found on your streaming. Truth is found in Jesus and the church is the caretaker of that. So put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Why do you think the most controversial conversation in politics today is about life? This was a no-brainer to Americans 50 years ago, 70 years ago, but today it's the number one most controversial conflict in today's politics. Why? Because God is life. Death is always a consequence of sin. And let me tell you, no unborn baby in America or any other country has ever committed sin worthy of capital punishment. Never, not even once, under any set of sinful circumstances did that child commit sin. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and everything that sets it up against life is simply wrong. And I'm gonna go one step further because Paul's gonna explain it in this next verse. It is demonic. It is of Satan himself, a real, alive creature that seeks to destroy everything about the holiness of God he can. He has hated God always. He always wanted to sit on the throne. He is jealous, he is petty, he is wicked, and he can't stand the fact that he's lost. He can't stand the fact that three days after he thought he had conquered Jesus on the cross, killing him and letting him become subject to death, which is what Satan's in charge of, Jesus said, no, this isn't how this story ends. I am the resurrection and the life. Anything that puts itself against life is simply contrary to the character of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now there's all kinds of studies and there's all kinds of theories on this verse. Let me simply say for us today, It simply means Satan is real and his dominion is real and those who are with him, a third of those angels that rebelled and were removed from heaven, a third of those angels that are waiting for Revelation 20.10 to come true so that they can be permanently cast into the pit of fire and suffer there for all eternity. Those who came up against the glory of God and lost are in every level of structure and activity and authority and power in this present darkness, in this evil, in the spiritual forces of heaven that fight against the truth of God. Every single one of them. And it's not the structures. Let me confess, this is one of my biggest areas of struggle. This is where I I, I struggle the most. It is easy when you look at that verse to try to say, oh, that explains why Washington's so screwed up. No, the structures aren't wrong. Oh, that's why our education system is so confused. No, the structures aren't wrong. Oh, that's why corporate America is so greedy. No, the structures aren't wrong. What we have to understand, our battle is not against the structures, It's not against the industries. It's not against those philosophies. It's against the demonic that utilize and move within those structures. I would love more than everything in the world, it's just burning inside of me to tell you my opinion about theme parks and Hollywood and producers. But they're not our enemy. The satanic forces, the work of the devil through people, that's our enemy. We don't stand against structures. We don't even stand against people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the forces of evil. And they're real, and they are succeeding. But they underestimate the church. They underestimate the bride of Christ. They underestimate the children of God. They underestimate the holy. They underestimate that delegated authority, that reinforced fortifications that have been resourced to us. They underestimate our willingness to stand our ground and not capitulate. They underestimate our ability to mark and ping our enemies, which is Satan himself. It's the evil he propagates. And we stand against that. Because we, through Christ, also know the way. And we know the truth. And we know the life. Because our lives have been changed. Because Jesus did a work in us that is eternal in nature. And so before I put on the armor of God next week, I just have to make that decision. Am I willing to fight? Am I willing to stand?